are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This week's episode is sponsored by Life and Longbows. Life and Longbows is the first collection of published works written by my dear friend and Traditional Outdoors co-host Nick View. While it is about traditional bow hunting, Life and Longbows isn't your typical bow hunting book. In this book, Nick laces up and places you inside his boots to experience the failures and successes of a young traditionalist navigating the pitfalls of a newly discovered pastime. While many works of hunting literature are from a more professional perspective, Nick's is refreshingly different. He didn't start shooting or hunting with a bow until he was 27 and had little knowledge or instruction in either activity. The result is a unique perspective that is full of honesty, meaning, and humor. Now, I've been reading Nick's writing for many years on lifeandlongbows.com and was fortunate enough to get a sneak peek at the finished product. I enjoyed it immensely, and I know you will too. Now, Nick is busy this weekend finalizing the digital version of Life and Longbows, and very soon a Kindle version will be available to download to your phone, tablet, or desktop. But if you're like me and you want a hard copy of the book in your hands, Nick will be launching a Kickstarter for printed copies shortly following the Kindle release, and a limited quantity will be signed, numbered, and available shortly after. Stay tuned to our show and follow Traditional Outdoors on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram for future updates. For this week's episode, Nick and I sat down with and had some great conversation around aerolithality, high front of center, and high momentum with longtime traditional bow hunter, writer, and creative marketer, Mr. Todd Smith. And also joining us is traditional bow hunter and high momentum, high FOC advocate, Mr. Isaac Justice of Limb Driven TV. Our discussion was gear and experience-based, including lessons learned and helpful tips and insight, and you might even find a couple of hunting stories mixed in there as well. We hope you enjoy the episode. All right, Nick, how's it going, man? It's going good, getting some arrows ready and uh, doing a little scouting. How about you? Same here. We got uh, hunting season is, is rapidly approaching, and I think you and I have been talking a little bit. We might try to get maybe one more uh, fishing episode in for for 2018 but i think a lot of uh a lot of our content our discussions and focus is going to to turn to hunting this time of year it's just it's the natural thing to do because it's all i can keep on my mind there's uh there's a whole lot of hunting gonna happen this year for sure and we've we both got big goals and in, uh including hunting with each other here pretty soon so uh yeah it's something to look forward to It'll be here for before we know it. But uh, in 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 the interest of that, um, the our, our guest tonight, we've got Todd Smith and Isaac Justice uh, joining us, and really the discussion is going to be around uh, era setups, um, broadhead choices. Uh, we're going to get into high FOC and and high momentum, uh, and and era lethality a little bit. So uh, how's it going? Uh, I guess. Todd and Isaac, uh, we're about unused to this four four way conversation. But how are you guys doing? Doing all right. I'm doing good. Good to hear. So let's just, uh, I guess, let's start out with a, a little bit of background, and uh, when we'll just kind of see where the conversation goes. So we'll start with with you, Todd. Give us a little uh, background about yourself and 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 what we're uh, what we're going to be discussing tonight from your point of view. Well, we're going to be discussing aerolithality. And uh, I guess I would describe 
my quick bio as I've been doing this for about 50 years. And I'm not a worldwide traveler, bow hunter, but I've been in the industry for about 40 years. And uh, I started out as a custom arrow builder, studied everything that I could regarding wood arrow construction. Uh, went to work with Three Rivers Archery, was there for 20 years. Um, was started out as a custom arrow builder there. Uh, left them in 2008, and now I've been working closely with Grizzly Stick for 10 years now. And uh, they have a, a, a good high momentum, high FOC uh, system. How about you, Isaac? All right, well, let's see. This started back for me when I was about six years old, so uh, not quite in it as long as Todd, but for me, it's going on about 15 years of just shooting bow and primarily traditional archery, so that's where my background is coming from. I do have a page and a YouTube channel, Limb Driven TV, that I'm just out there trying to put myself out there showing examples of how I think things should be done. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I learned is, you know, was from back when the primary primary use was wooden arrows and lots of weight and you know cut on contact two blades and that's what I grew up doing and that's what that's what I'm trying to spread the word about so that's pretty much that's pretty much what I do on my YouTube channel I I do shoot the grizzly stick system uh I like that a lot I've taken a pig and a deer with that so far looking to do more obviously but that's just been been good for me so i do support that and i know todd todd works with them and we've been good buddies for a little while so it's nice to do a podcast with him involved and just trying to spread the word that way gotcha so how'd the two of you meet oh geez todd do you remember i don't i i think it was just primary primarily social media it was actually i think i found out about you by you contacting me when you were going to do the YouTube stuff. Yeah, actually, I think that was right, because I had a couple things that I wanted to put on there, because I was using your guys' stuff, and I thought that it could reach a bigger audience doing that, and it, it did. I mean, it helped grow a little bit of what I was doing independently, and uh, now pretty much that's all I do is just the independent work, but I still use, obviously, the Grizzly Stick stuff. I think that is how we met, the YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Funny how that works. Steve and I met through Twitter and actually he reached out to me for blog <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah. Back in, back in 2000, early, er, real early 2012. Yeah. yeah and then, and then he, he realized that I, I knew very little about what I was doing basically <laughs> and then got me onto my own server. <laughs> so that's kind of how that relationship was formed. But it's funny how, uh, how social media connects so many, uh, so many outdoorsmen these days, outdoorsmen these days. It, it definitely has a lot of, a lot of pros, but wow, there's, there's a lot of cons too. And it's funny the the four of us have kind of been chatting back and forth on, on Facebook about, about some of that, uh, this week. And, you know, it's um, so a couple of things, I guess, let's just, you know, set the set the groundwork and get out of the way early on. Um, we are going to be discussing high momentum. We are be going to be discussing high FOC. Um, and, you know, that's one of those things that uh, 
it's kind of a hot button in a lot of areas. And I know Todd, you and I spoke about this, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about setting this up by phone that, um, you, you had something to say about when, when people, you know, come up to you and say, wow, what, you know, why on earth would I want to, what I want to change my air when it's been, been working for me. And what did you tell me? <laughs> I, I just ask them, have you ever had a failure? And if they say no, then I ask them, why would they even consider changing? Right. So all we can do is we can sit here and talk about what's worked for us, um, what's been, uh, for all intents and purposes, has been proven. But ultimately, we're not, we're, not telling, we're not trying to tell anybody what they're doing is wrong. We're just looking at it from a perspective of there's always room for improvement. So when you're talking about, at least for me, I'm not trying to speak for you guys, but I'll just say at least for me and I'll let you chime in. For me, taking an animal's life is, is it's serious business. Um, so I go out of my way to make sure that um, I have the highest opportunity for success for a, a quick and effective uh, setup. So, you know, I don't want to know that that animal uh, suffered because I didn't do everything I could to make um, to make the shot and to uh, have the most effective setup. Any any comments to that or thoughts, guys? That's actually how I got into it too. Um, when I first started, I killed my first deer with like a I think it was like a 2018 with a 145 grain point. And when I started, like I thought 145 grains was heavy. I started out with like 125 grain point, and somebody told me to move to 145, and I thought that was going to screw everything up. <laughs> it's kind of funny now. Um, but the second deer I shot, um, I did have something bad happen. And um, I, had, I had moved to, a, thankfully, I had moved to a heavy wood arrow. I was running, I remember it was like a, it was like a really heavy cedar, and I had 100 grain um, woody weight on the end of it. And I think it was 160 grain broadhead, uh, two blade and I'm running way more now, but at the time, I mean, I made a, I had a, I had a, a jumpy deer duck, duck my arrow. Um, and I actually got through the top of the shoulder and into the spine and killed the deer instantly. Um, but had I been using a different setup, that wouldn't have happened at all. And that's when I really started realizing that or thinking about my setup and, and going heavier. Um, and I've been doing that ever since. So, yeah, I, I did almost have a failure. And that, that really made me think about things. Yeah, I was definitely the same way. And unlike you three, uh, I'm sure your guys' first animals came with traditional gear. But for me, my dad would never let me. Because, like Steve said, it's it's serious business taking an animal's life. My dad wouldn't let me go out in the woods uh, with my traditional gear that I would shoot all the time while he practiced as well. I wasn't allowed because he didn't think I was good enough. So I actually had a compound. And this would have been, oh, I don't even, I'm not even going to do the math on how many years back it was. I'm finally getting that old, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm aging myself, right? I'm just <laughs> so young. But my first deer came with a compound, and I was shooting, let's see, it was 60 pounds, drew 27 inches, and the shop had me set up with, like, 420-grain arrow, and it was like a, I think it was a muzzy four-blade, just really standard, something that a lot of guys had confidence in, very popular, see it on TV, so I felt good about it to see on TV it puts down a lot of animals, so I figure I'm going to go out back and I'm going to put them down too, and I had 
a nice 10 pointer at 30 yards quartering away and I got three inches of penetration and the broadhead barely touched the liver it didn't even have to penetrate a rib it went in between them and I just couldn't believe it I was as I watched the deer run away with pretty much all my arrow sticking out of it and I thought my dad shoots my dad shoots a recurve and I'm shooting a compound and I can't even get penetration and he's put down how many animals it's like I'm definitely doing something wrong and for me that's where all the research started so so what about you Todd did you did uh, you said you started out with with wood arrows give us a, a just a quick how what was your journey like as far as moving towards a, a heavier or high momentum high foc setup sure well back in the day i got lucky and i was trained by a master fletcher his name was john dodge and cedar arrows were his specialty and i always say he's arguably one of the best fletchers that north america ever produced because he was all into precision and he believed that each bow had a specific arrow weight that it would be most efficient with and we both shot 48 to 50 pound longbows at the time and we were shooting eh, 500 to 550 grain arrows and we had decent performance with them you know we took caribou and and moose with that type of setup um when i moved back to indiana i hunted a lot of whitetails and i actually did uh, lose a couple of them due to shoulder blades and at the time it was just huh well you know that's what happens when you hit a shoulder blade uh, about late ni- 80s the ashby reports came out the natal study and then we started seeing uh the actual testing done with different arrows and broadheads and we saw what the single bevel broadheads could do and uh, harry elberg had come out with the uh, grizzly broadhead at the time and so I switched to that, and I got better performance. And then later on in Ashby's studies, he identified 650 grains as the heavy bone threshold. I think that's one of the one of the weight issues that people kick at, but it was his magic number, was the heavy bone threshold. Right. And since I switched to that, I still shoot 46 to 50-pound longbows. And since switching to... A nice, strong, sharp, caught on contact, uh, single bevel broadhead, and arrows that total arrow weight, including broadhead, are 650 or slightly above. Every deer I have put an arrow in, I have harvested cleanly and quickly. One of them even did what I always call a matrix move. He just spun at the shot, and I literally hit him through the pelvic arch, through the backside. And was able to split the pelvic arch, which is a big bone on a, this was a big buck, probably 220 pounds. And I got probably 23, 24 inches of penetration. And that buck was down within, I'm going to say 75 to 80 yards. So that deer would not have been harvested. That deer would have just been a wound loss in my previous archery life when I shot 500 to 550 grains and uh, uh, they were actually double bevel high mechanical advantage heads but uh, I, there's just no way I could have gotten that animal and and I before I, I've got a, actually a couple stories I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in here and I think we I've probably mentioned and touched on these you know, in other episodes but you know that 
one thing that you said there, you, you, you know, you said you'd, you'd lost a couple of animals and, and I, you know, I can't, I don't have any statistics to back this up, but I do know enough people and I know enough conversations that I've had away from, away from Facebook, away from, uh, forums, even, you know, back in the day and so forth. But there's a lot more animals that are not recovered that potentially could have been recovered with the right setup that you never hear about. And, you know, like I said, I don't have any numbers to back that up, but I'm a firm believer in that and always have been. Um, a lot of people just don't, they just don't talk about it. And, you know, it could be argued that that's a good thing that they don't talk about it. But, um, I just don't know that a lot of people that have those uh, those failures really take into consideration, could I be doing something to prevent that the next time? Well, that's uh, the, absolutely. if I might add here. Sure. That's the great thing about the social media stuff. And uh, I will say on my specific page, man, it's several guys a week reaching out to Limb Driven TV or they know me and they reach out to me. They see me active in some of the groups, and I normally try and tag myself in the stuff so they can always click my name. You know, it's a live link on Facebook. Come to me, send me a message. It's several a week. So I think that, you know, all the hoopla about social media and all the pros and cons, some of what we discussed, like you said, over over Messenger on Facebook, you know, one of the big pros is it is such a big resource to try and find people that have information that you might need. Now, it is kind of feeding into that instant gratification, but I think for something that we're all passionate about, being archery, man, the faster we can figure out how we can improve, the better. And I just, I think that's such a good resource. It's just, like I said, several a week, reach out and say, hey, you know, how can I improve this? Whether it's just like arrow flight, you know, tuning, or they, you know, come fall, they'll be explaining what happened on the animal that they shot at and hopefully recovered but looking to improve that way too and that's that's a very good point isaac and i'll, I'll be honest i'm i'm uh i'm not the first to always notice and and accept the positive sides of things and you know without going into a lot of detail there's been a couple of different groups that you and i've participated in and um without calling names uh you know one of them i just had to leave because of the and I don't want to use the word deniers. That's just a bad word. But the you know the there's there's an element out there that, uh, for whatever reason, whether it's because they're seeing you know they're they're watching too many outdoor uh, shows on the sports sportsman's network or outdoor channel, whatever it is, they're just completely in denial that. Um, a a mechanical broadhead with a extremely high mechanical uh, advantage out of a very light arrow, or excuse me, on a very light arrow out of a super high powered bow that's moving at 400 feet per second or whatever it is. I don't even know what the current speeds are. I don't care, but to think that that's going to overcome um, in any situation other than the absolute perfect shot. I, I just, you know, I know we've run into those and I don't understand that mentality because, uh, and I've said this before too, if you hunt enough, I don't care who you are, you are going to have a bad shot. Your fault, animal's fault, something you didn't see, things out of your control, within your control, it's inevitable. 
as long as you're out in the woods hunting and you're shooting at animals, eventually it's going to happen to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, yeah, and that's always been my what I don't understand, Steve, is it's always a lot of times the argument that's made is shot placement. And the thing is, well, are you trying to say that I can't have good shot placement with a heavy arrow and be prepared for a bad shot? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Like, it just requires a little bit more tuning to get a heavy arrow to, you know, to fly the way you want it to. But why not be prepared for both situations? It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. That's a good point, Nick. And I want to ask, so I'm going to ask a quick question and then I do want to go back to the, a couple of experiences I've had. But um, Isaac and, and Todd, Nick just made a statement that, you know, the tuning aspect of, of the higher FOC. Do you guys agree that it's harder to tune with high FOC or easier? Go ahead, Isaac. I'm going to say it's, you know, that's a really tough question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll take this one, guys. <laughs> you know, it depends. I, I always think it depends on how experienced you are in tuning and in the traditional community, there's a lot of, I don't want to say arguing, that's kind of a bad word, but it's kind of that bantering back and forth about what way is going to be, I guess, best. Mm -hmm. um, I would say in my experience talking with Todd, we kind of have two different tuning methods. And his is obviously, well, I'll say mine ages me. His is more normal to the people that I would honestly be speaking to. Uh, normally when they when I get a message is they look for that perfect arrow flight and they know how to cut and when to cut and it's that feel it's that feeling of the arrow and seeing it and knowing how well you shoot and setting those arrows up uh, spine wise and point weight wise to make it feel just how you like it and I think that that is that in that case it would make it easier with what I do bear shaft tuning I think it makes it a little bit more difficult only because you need to have good form. You got to be able to know how to adjust and how to troubleshoot false readings. And there's a lot more things to think about than just having fletchings on your arrows and paying attention to that perfect flight. But at the end of the day, you know, whether it's harder to tune my bear shaft than what it is for people that would prefer to paper tune with fletchings I think that I'm taking my stress away because once I put broadheads on, I know that everything's going to fly perfect. That's something that I really do emphasize a lot is that perfect arrow flight because I don't really care how well my field points fly if my broadheads aren't going to fly. I'm primarily a hunter. I don't really care to go do competitive shoots and there are ways, shortcuts to make those field points fly perfect, even even with bear shaft tuning and it doesn't always allow our broadheads to fly perfect. So I guess to answer the question in short, I don't want to say it's harder. I don't want to say it's easier. It's just that it's going to take a higher attention to detail and it can never hurt to have a little bit of help. And there's lots of resources out there for people to look up what readings mean what and where to go and how to do it all. And I think that it is easier now that it's really grabbing the attention of a lot of folks and a lot of folks are putting good information out. So 
that, I guess that's kind of my and, answer. And that part I would definitely agree with. And I am going to come back to you, Nick, because I want to ask you, uh, I want to get more on your thoughts on that. But Todd, what about you? Well, I think it's just the responsibility of every bow hunter to know how to tune their arrows. And I do talk to a lot of guys uh, through tech support, and they don't know how to tune their bow. They don't know how to tune their arrows. I find all arrow tuning the same. So when I was shooting cedars with 125 grain Eskimos on them, or whether I'm shooting grizzly sticks with 200 grain Maasai's on them, it's the exact same steps. I, I tune the same way. But Isaac did have a phrase he mentioned, false readings. And an extremely high FOC arrow can absolutely give you a false reading. And I, have, I do have a quick story of how I learned this. I had a 540 spined arrow with a 315 grain head on it and a 440 spined arrow with a 315 grain arrow on it. I shot both of them at about 10 yards and the lighter spined arrow impacted 10 to 12 inches to my left and I'm a right-handed shooter. So that indicated, it indicated that it was too stiff, mm -hmm. but it was the lighter arrow. And so I go, hmm, I'm going to put a 100 grain head on that. So it was 215 grains lighter. And I shot that same arrow, and it came right over to my right, that 10 to 12 inches. It hit my aiming spot, and my brain screamed for, you know, a while, like, this does not compute. This does not make any sense. What is going on here? Which is, this is kind of like Ashby's outcome-driven research. This is the test that I just inadvertently did. These are my results. Now, scratch your head and figure out the why behind them. And the why behind it was just simply, it wasn't a center shot bow. That mass weight was already starting its launch to the left of my riser. And even though the arrow was weak, it, it, did, it couldn't override that mass weight that was sitting out at the nose and force it around the riser like it could, say, with a, you know, a parallel arrow with, with a lower FOC. So it gave me a false reading. And so from that aspect, what Isaac said, as long as you understand the potential of your false readings and you verify each step, it's still the same process of elimination and the process of tuning. You just have to be aware of it's not as black and white as it used to be. That all makes perfect sense, and I would agree with everything you said, and I'm probably oversimplifying but before i before i go back into that i just want to ask nick um why and i know you haven't you haven't really fooled with the real high foc until somewhat recently but why did you feel it makes it is it is it you feel it's more difficult on the tuning aspect of it or do you feel like it's more difficult um finding a starting point because of the additional front end weight um, actually, when I first started getting into heavier arrows, it really wasn't that big of a deal. All my bows were pretty much in the same weight range, and I just kept on adding weight. And as long as my flight was good, I kind of went with it, and I stuck with it because it worked. Right. Um, and I bear, I did bear shaft tune with Dusty. Um, the my my first Saint Joe that I lost because of leaving it in the car with extreme heat. Um, that bow was around 56 pounds and 64 inches. And 
I bear shafted some black eagles. Um, Tom had sent me that outlaw kit, and I didn't do exactly what he did with all the construction, with the footing, and all of that. But I, I, I went. I did match the 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 point weight on it, and that shot really, really well. Um, well, I switched when when Dusty, when I lost Dusty, I had all these arrows for Dusty. I got my new bow, and it was a lot like Dusty, but two inches shorter. And it about it was probably a little bit lighter. It's a, it, that one comes in. Phoenix comes in at around fifty three to fifty, it, more like fifty five pounds. So not too drastic, but it definitely shoots a little bit differently. Um, and what ended up happening was I just figured lazily, oh, I've got all these arrows and they're oh they're they're shooting great. Well, then I realized, and we talked about this earlier, that I had a click in the bow, like it kept like. And you pointed out, finally, shooting with you, I'm like, Steve, I can't get rid of the click on this bow. I think the tiller's off or something. And you said, no, that's your, look at the front of your bow. You're you're hitting the end of your arrow on your bow. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could hear him hitting. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, when Steve tells me stuff, I listen. But, you know, most of the time I say, nah, shut up, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and now, and, and so since he threw that out there, now I'm going to tell the rest of the story. So Nick, Nick goes back to Tracy and David. <laughs> And and is talking to them, and Tracy actually looked at him and said, "I think you ought to listen to Steve." So he took three of my arrows, and these are these are really heavy for that bow. But four four hundred grain up top on a three fifty, right? Uh, four four eighty up front on a three. Oh, so you're even shot. heavier. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but he went out. He went out to the range and came back and said, "The bow's quiet." <laughs> so that, then I and now I now the thing is is I have three fifties. Um, they're full length and they have about three hundred grains up front. Um, and I tried them and I was like, okay, I bumped the point weight up to. I actually they were. I found out that they only had about two fifty up front or two twenty or something like that. So I kicked the weight up on those and they sounded a little bit better. But I mean, they're all fletched and everything. So I was like, well, I don't want to peel these off and start, you know, shaving the back off and you know, getting the thing because they're they're full length arrows. Um, and then I had these twenty two sixteens laying around, and I had I had put two hundred grain heads on those with um 100 grain insert and i was like well let's try these so i shot them and they were a lot quieter and i'm like okay i gotta be getting closer and then i went ahead and ordered from tough head i got some 300 grain points and i stuck those on there on the 100 grain insert so now i'm rocking around 400 plus a 30 30 grain insert or the 30 grain insert that comes on the 2216 so i'm around 430 and those were money. Like, they shot a lot like Steve's arrows did. In fact, I was able to shave about two inches down off of those from full length, and they, they flew about perfect. Um, and the boat was quiet. I loved the flight. And that's where I'm at right now. But I think that the difficulty with me was one was the biggest thing was being stubborn. When I said it was harder, I think it was being stubborn. I just, I had an investment. In all right. the equipment that I had, I didn't want to spend more money. I didn't want to spend the time to go back and strip my fletching off, figure it all out. And, you know, I should have bear shafted this bow when I first got it rather than just saying, well, this is all going to work because the arrows flew fine. But that noise was and if you would have taken the fletching off, you know, they would have been all over. They would not have been right. So and and that that. 
I'll clarify what I said. If you're if you actually go out and do the proper the proper tuning in the proper way, then I you know I've always had trouble, or I I remember having more trouble with arrows that I was just shooting a you know 125 grain point up front, but that may be too because back in those days I really didn't know what I was doing to begin with. So you know I've probably just learned as I've um, been involved in it longer and, and started shoot more of the, the high FOC. I've learned more about tuning, so it just seems easier. But the other piece is, I think when you start getting into the, you know, 400, 450 grains up front on a, especially on like a carbon shaft, my experience has been the arrow will just tend to fly better out of almost any bow within reason. Meaning I think the, the front end weight will will compensate for a poorly tuned arrow and at the same time again in my experience like to hear what you guys think but if i've if i'm shooting a a real high foc uh, arrow if i make a mistake the arrow seems to recover quickly and has less um it's it's less impacted by my mistakes if i you know nerves or whatever um have you guys noticed any of that or no well, for me, uh, well, I'll just say a personal story that I just got done with two weeks ago was I had my 50-pound bow. I set up just some of the grizzly stick TDTs. Like I said, that's what I use. Uh, I set those up. I cut five-eighths of an inch off the back, perfectly bare shaft tuned to a 50-pound bow. That was with three, 315 for a point weight and then the 70-grain insert, no brass or anything. And I was like, ah, I just, I don't really like the setup. It was 715 total weight and then 30% FOC. And I was like, that's just, it's a little bit too slow for what I liked because I know that my range, I have to be good out to like 25 and I just didn't like the flight time. So I thought, okay, I'm going to bump back up to my 65 pound bow that I used last year. And I didn't want to switch shafts. Well, (laughs) I literally took another half inch off the back of those things, added a brass and drop down to a 200 grain point so i mean it seems like a lot of shifting around but it really wasn't and i make those same shafts work and so i guess what i'm getting at with this is an arrow that is you know i will say high foc i like i tend to see this more around that 25 percent range that most most traditional guys can get around because we're mm-hmm. using lighter spines lower grain per inch they work for a wider range of poundages and i think because of that then it plays into if we pluck a release or you know we short ourselves just a little bit on the draw or we overdraw just a touch you know those little tiny minute mistakes they don't show up because i've had these arrows they still work out of the 50 pound bow the bear shaft is literally a tiny bit stiff if i go back to the 315 grain points and i took another half inch off and it's like barely stiff and it still works with my broadhead. So now I have these arrows that are tuned to a 65-pound bow and a 50-pound bow. For the 65-pound bow, it's 25% FOC. And for the 50-pound bow, it's 30. And they're completely interchangeable. It's six arrows work for two bows. And, I mean, look at all that play that I have. And that is, I've never been able to do that with the wood shafts that I started shooting with when I was younger. And my dad's never even been able to come close to doing that. I've never really heard of anyone wanting to even try to do that, but you're able to because you have this 
arrow that is so tuned, so perfect that, you know, it's able to withstand these little differences because the arrow itself can and should react correctly with a good release. So now the little changes are on me. Uh, I don't have to worry about the arrow not not being, you know, the arrow isn't the reason that anything is, anything that is happening that is wrong isn't on the arrow. It's all me. It just makes it easier. I know that's funny wording, but you get what I'm saying. No, I I, I do, and it it, it brings up a, a real quick point that um, I I have a lot. Well, I've got more bows than I should have. I got way more than <laughs> I need, but I've got a lot that are within um, you know two to three pounds of really the, the the weight I like to hunt with. And when I was shooting lighter front end setups, the the it's they seem to be more choosy as far as the arrow but with the setups that i'm shooting now i can pretty much take the same arrow and go between three or four different bows and it makes no difference which is somewhat kind of almost like what you're saying what about you todd i think it has a lot to do with the heaviness of the arrows as well you know the the whole thing about an object in motion tends to remain in motion unless acted upon by an outside force <laughs> but I think that the heavier mass weights, uh, my mentor John Dodge hated the word forgiving. He hated a bow being called forgiving, arrows being called forgiving, but that heavier mass weight just doesn't seem as critical of your minor flaws. And that's kind of somewhat counterintuitive to some people because, as we know, with that more mass weight, it spends a longer amount of time on that string so if you drop your bow arm you know if you flinch it's going to affect the arrow more and that's part of the reason that's a lot of the backlash i get is you know if i switch to this you know i I, i'm interested in the performance but i'm not interested in how i'm going to perform with it but you know this is a great point and so far you know for all of us it seems like that's kind of been the norm is these high foc arrows a little more weight are more i'm going to use the word todd forgiving for 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 our mistakes (laughs) i use it all the time yeah you know it's a little it's a little better for our mistakes and even though it has that increased time on the string i mean we're still all shooting well from what i've heard at least from you guys (laughs) yep and go ahead i I think that the other the other thing now now when you were explaining you threw out a lot of numbers there and a lot of play i think there's a lot of people that are just afraid of that play you know they they don't really geek out about it um, like That's we're, definitely true. we're obviously all interested in it. And I wasn't always that way. I used to, I used to kind of laugh at Steve and Tom. Like I was, I'd always like think, Oh, you know, I call Tom the mad scientist. Like, you know, and Steve even at one point too was like that with Tom. Like we kind of like, man, Tom's at another level and he just <laughs> really, he just really got into that. And for me, it was kind of like, I have what works. I like the way my bows shoot. I don't really want to mess with it. I would rather just shoot my bow. And I think the average archer, especially people who are having their equipment set up or who just looked at an arrow chart and or somebody told them, hey, you need a 70-75 with 105 gra- or 145 grain point and 5-inch fletching, and that's going to do it for you. And once they find something they know that works, it's like, well, I'm not going to change this now, especially if they, if they kill a deer with it or two deer or three deer, and they're like, oh, see, I don't need to change. It, it gets to the point where it's like, I don't, I don't want to mess with it. I would rather be doing something else, and it just becomes, like, intimidating. And I think the other thing is people think, you know, to go off that is, is it's expensive. 
Like it's expensive to play like that. And it's really not. Like you said, if you get a setting that you find that's kind of got kind of kind of got a sweet spot that, you know, forgiving or whatever, you can go between <laughs> different things. I guarantee the arrows I have right now will shoot out of my um you know, my my Schultz, which is pulling my John Schultz longbow, which is pulling around sixty seven pounds. I can almost guarantee if I put that on that bow, it's gonna shoot fine. And um, I would I almost guarantee you're right. And the, the, so, and this is another one of those in my experience things. But your your St. Joe's is cut to at probably center or a little past center, where that that John Schultz is probably mm-hmm. a quarter inch from center. The mm-hmm. arrow's got to bend mm-hmm. a lot more to get around the riser. Yep. I will like to add on on the ones that I was shooting. Both bows are cut to center. Both of them, the fifty the fifty pounder and the 65 pounder both cut to center which obviously means that the arrow doesn't have to do a whole lot of bending which is a lot of why i have so much range so the the bow it definitely does depend on the bow but just to add to that yours probably are are varied just a little bit by the sounds of it but mine are the same and i was still able to have those arrows tune out of two bows that are 15 pounds apart and, you know, here's the, so one of the other arguments Nick kind of brought up the, you know, people don't want to get into the, the, the details like, you know, some of us <laughs> kind of get off on as far as the, the, the point weight, the insert weight and all this other stuff and figuring that out. But the other argument that I hear quite often is, um, well, you know, my, my point on is that X and I don't want to have to I don't want to learn to to accom- uh, adjust for all that extra weight and all this other stuff but here's what I what I saw firsthand when when uh after we figured out what was going on with Nick's bow up at Compton's I just pulled three more arrows out of my quiver and I said let's shoot and what was the courses up there Nick 20 targets yeah something like that and by the end of that first round 20 targets he was shooting right where he wanted to shoot so his mind adjusted mm-hmm. that quick. Well, I was literally after the first three I was on. Right. Like it didn't it take, just take long. Yeah. I shot low and, and you know, and they felt good. And I, um, I forget who it was that brought this up about feel. Um, I've got a, one of the analogies that I like to, I don't really talk about it, but I, I kind of notice is like, I play slow pitch softball and everybody in slow pitch softball has different bats that they prefer. Um, 34 inch long, 27 inch or 20, 26 ounces, 27 ounces, 28 ounces, 30 ounces. Like, and it all depends on your hand speed, how you swing, you know, are you a power hitter kind of guy or you are fast hands or, or, you know, do you like to hit, you know, whatever you like to do. But when you find it, it took me a while when I first started playing slow pitch to find a bat. And the first time I knew I had a bat that I liked, the ball was that much sweeter off the bat. I just knew I had that power alley with that bat and I always hit it in the sweet spot of the bat. Um, it's the same when you have an arrow, like if you find an arrow that's tuned perfectly and you let that thing go, it's almost like you feel it like, wow, that one's on the money. Like it feels perfect. Like the energy transfer is perfect. Like the arrow flight looks great. And that's kind of the way it felt when I was shooting Steve's arrows. It was like, Oh, there it is. And I, I I'd noticed it before with other bows. I had it with Dusty, but I hadn't found it with Phoenix yet. So when I found it, I was like, oh, okay. Then I went home and I mimicked it. I kind of shot around till I had it again. And once you get it, you know, you know, you found it. Uh, so I thought it was interesting that you brought that up. 
This week on Passing Down Traditions, I'm proud to be joined by Mr. Dennis Harper, president of Compton Traditional Bow Hunters. How's it going, Dennis? Great, great, Steve. How are you? Uh, doing well, doing well. It's uh, a beautiful day. It's it's kind of hot here. We've had a we've had a few few showers here and there, but uh, it's it's been a been a pretty good day overall. How about yourself? Real good. It's it's about the same here, and we're we're praying for some rain this weekend. <laughs> well, I, we could I, use we, some. We could actually use a little bit more. We just had a few little showers pass through, so. So Dennis, I guess, um, for the listeners and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm constantly talking about Compton's, uh, on the podcast and, uh, you know, I, I actually became a a life member this, this past year. It's an organization that I, I really believe in a lot and try to contribute where I can and, and really just get the word out about, um, Compton traditional bow hunters. But since everybody's, you know, always hearing this and that from me, I'd like to, you know, have you just kind of Tell us about Compton Traditional Bow Hunters in in your own words, and we'll just have a little back and forth here for the next five or ten minutes. That sounds great. Um, I guess I'll start. Compton's was started, you know, Compton Traditional Bow Hunters was started back in 1999. So we're coming up on our 20th anniversary next year, and uh, we we are the National Traditional Bow Hunting Organization. And if you think about your state organization, you know, your state bowhead organization, that's basically what we are. We're just the national group. And uh, a lot of times people, because we always have our our rendezvous up in Michigan, a lot of people think, oh, well, I can't join that. They're always in Michigan. Well, <laughs> we're a nationwide group and we have members in all the Canadian provinces. And I, know I just talked to a guy, member in Australia. and. Uh, Gosh, I know we've got members in Germany and France and all over the place. And so a lot of people wonder what Compton is and where we got the name. And uh, actually, Glenn St. Charles was on their founding board. And uh, he was one of the founding members. And he felt very strongly. He helped, of course, name Pope and Young Club. And uh, I'm, I have a feeling that no one knew who they were either, <laughs> you know. And after being around 50 years, everybody knows who they are. Well, Chief Will Compton was who our club was named after. And, uh, you know, Glenn always felt like he didn't get the recognition he needed. So that's where the name came from. And, and pretty much we are just here to promote traditional archery and bow hunting. And that's our main thing. And, of course, like you and I have talked, a big part of that is in our youth program. You know, getting bows in the hands of kids and helping them shoot. You know, you put a bow in a kid's hand, you never know where it might take them. You know? You're exactly right. And, I, you know, the, the rendezvous, I've been lucky enough to attend for, for several years now and uh, and also been been lucky enough to actually have my, my daughter participate in the youth event the first time we visited. And then um, in some way or another, I've been involved in, in the youth activities there on, on Saturdays. And there's just a, there's a ton of, of great volunteers that step up and help out with that each year. And it's, it's, you know, you, you, you've mentioned bow hunting and it's not just about putting a, a, a bow in a kid's hand or letting them shoot some arrows. There's, there's a lot of other activities that go on in that, that youth event as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, 
they they divide the kids up by youth by by age group and they kind of by i guess experience and age group and they kind of customize the whole program to them and including i you know they do a blood trailing event you know with some kids and they walk through the range and they have they have targets set up and they just have a ball and you get kids having fun get them out from in front of the tv and off the internet or whatever and uh they, they just have a ball. They take to it like a duck to water. And do you have, you know, uh, off the top of your head, do you know, I know the number was close to 200 this year as far as kids that participated, but do, do you happen to have a number off the top of your head? I didn't ask you that ahead of time. You know, I don't have an exact number, but I think it was over 200. I know there was a sea of, of bright yellow shirts everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fun to see. I. I tell you what, those kids, they, they have such a time over there. And, and uh, like I say, they, well, the whole rendezvous is nothing but like a kid in a candy store for even for the adults, but for the kids, they, they just have a ball there. And I think you have to talk to Will, Will McQueen, our youth director. I know he, he will have uh, an exact number, a head count, Okay, but, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be better with the head count. And I, I so, am going to reach out to him, possibly, you know, have him come on the, the passing down tradition segment, or maybe we can, maybe we can actually figure a way to get him or maybe him and a couple of the other volunteers or something. We'll just make a whole episode out of it because it's, it's, it is just great to see the kids so excited about it. And, um, their rendezvous is just a lot of fun for, for the entire family. I mean, like I said, we, we really love it and we're, we're actually trying, I mean, it's a pretty good haul for us, but, we're, we're trying to start making it an annual thing. We just really love it. Um, but then there's also the, the big game classic and that, that moves around from year to year, right? Correct. Well, then we do it every other year. And, uh, our last one was in Pittsburgh this last March and, uh, it was a great time. And, and uh, we've done, I think Pittsburgh was our fourth one. We had Kansas city, then Louisville, Kentucky, Denver, Colorado, and then Pittsburgh. And it just keeps growing in popularity every time. And it's great to see all the animals come in and all the excitement and, and people have a, a great time at that too. And, and the part of the, the idea behind the big game classic was to kind of promote our, our archives program, you know, for the animals. And, um, and we have an archives book and which we we're working on our second edition of that. Hopefully we'll have it out for the next, big game classic in, in uh, 2020. And uh, so there's some exciting stuff happening and, and, but that, that whole program was built. So we would have something that's not just in Michigan, something we can move around the country and other people can experience a, a Compton event and uh, get together and meet other Compton members and, and just basically have a great time. And some some amazing people in the organization. I'm, I'm oh. proud to proud to call a lot of them close friends. And I, every year I go, I, I end up bringing a few back with me as far as you know, new friends I've I've met while I was there. So some really good people. always, always, always great folks. And and I tell you what, that that week for me, it's a week. You know, we I leave out of home out from home here on the weekend before and spend a few days ahead of the of the rendezvous there and and between work and and going out and checking on things and getting things set up and then gosh by the time i'm driving home sunday evening i am spent but it's a good tire you know because it's just a it's a fantastic event and everybody has a great time and one of the reasons and i was telling you this earlier 
one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about Compton and, and passing along the tradition and that sort of thing. And it's just like many other people, probably yourself included is I, I probably wouldn't be bow hunting if someone hadn't stuck a bow in my hand and said, Hey, let's go shoot. And, uh, it was just, just happenstance. And then I got to shooting and one of the school teachers happened to be the, uh, president of our local archery club and invited me to come out there. And next thing you know, I'm hunting with him and he took me under his wing. And so all of us that can do stuff like that, we all have that opportunity. And, uh, if we take somebody hunting or at least get them shooting a bow, you never know where it might take them. Exactly right. I agree. 110%. Well, Dennis, I've, I've kept you tied up long enough. Uh, I will leave a link in the show notes for this episode for the website, but it is Compton traditional bowhunters.com. And if you're, you're not a member, uh, I, I strongly suggest you head out to the website and, and sign up and forgive me, uh, Dennis, since I, since I did my life membership thing, I don't even remember what the annual dues are. What are they? It's $35. $35 a year, and that includes uh, yeah. the quarterly newsletter as well, Walk in the Woods. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all, and it gets you a discount getting into the, the rendezvous if you come up. And um, anyway, you just get to help spread the word about Compton and, and traditional bow hunting. So we'd love to have everybody as a member. And anybody has any questions, you know, if they get on the website, shoot us an email. Give me a call. Give one of the other board members a call. We're always, always here and, and happy to talk. And I, I am not a board member, but I will gladly say anybody listen to this, if they, if they need any assistance, getting in touch with anybody at Compton's reach out to me and I will one way or the other, I will find a way to get you in touch with somebody. So, well, Dennis, thank Fantastic. you, sir. I really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. We're going to get back to our, uh, to our episode. So thank you so much. Steve, thanks for all you do. And, and uh, thanks for everybody for listening. All right, Dennis. Take care, buddy. Thank you. You too. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back now because everybody got to tell their uh, their path to the the heavier era story uh, briefly. So I'm gonna throw a couple of them out here real quick, and then I actually want to go uh, kind of around and 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 talk about some different setups that that everybody's uh, on this on this conversation is using but um isaac go back to what you said i actually i did not start with trad so um oh interesting when i was 16 i i so nobody in my family hunted um i was just i was drawn to it and my father bought a bow for my uh birthday present when i turned 16 and you know it, he went out and bought what's whatever you know somebody told him he needed and you know it was a compound which at that time that's what everybody was shooting i don't know that i could have even found a traditional bow if i'd have known the difference back then that would have been in you know like 80 82 or 83 um but anyway when I, the whole time i hunted with with compounds i kind of stuck with the 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 heavy area heavy arrow scenario not necessarily high foc but you know, I started out shooting the the uh, Eastern Hunter Orange aluminum, so they were automatically heavy. And then when carbons came out, uh, you know, pretty much went to uh, Thunderheads and and Muzzy Broadheads, those kind of things. Um, but you know, I never really got into the speed game, even with with compounds. It was always a, a fixed broadhead, heavy arrow. 
my mistake was when I actually, and I've been, I've been hunting, this will be my 16th, uh, season, uh, hunting only with traditional gear. I don't, I don't gun hunt or anything else. So I spend a lot of time in the woods, um, bow hunting, but my first setup was, a I, I want to say the bow was something like a 50, 55 pound bow. Um, and I pretty much had a very similar arrow to what I was used to hunting with a compound. And the, the very first animal, uh, that I shot was a, a decent sized buck, six, seven, eight point, eight point buck. And it was a, it was a, it was a, a steep angle. Um, but I really thought I could make the shot. And when I shot, the air was just a little bit higher than I wanted. And, and anybody that's been around, um, bow hunters that especially compound hunters a lot, you'll always hear that called as the no man, no man's land. You know, you hit a little high above the mm-hmm. shoulder, kind of near the tenderloin. And I got no penetration whatsoever. And I watched that deer run off and I immediately started analyzing and that's really where my progression has been as far as the arrows that I started with and the arrows that I'm shooting now. It's every time something failure is kind of not an option. So every time I see a failure of any kind, I, I kind of analyze it and adjust as needed. And that initial adjustment was to start going heavier. And oddly enough, I went to wood arrows to get the mass weight and then went to using woody weights and, and pretty heavy. I was shooting you know, 800 grain arrows, seven, 800 grain arrows using, using wood. Um, and I didn't have any failures for quite some time. Went back to shooting carbons, ended up having one failure with a carbon arrow with the, um, uh, without getting too much detail, the point rolled on the point and it broke the threaded, uh, ferrule on the broadhead. And so I kind of changed everything again. And now I, I, I'm just now this year getting ready to try another screw in broadhead, but I completely went to all glue on heads, whether I was shooting wood or, um, uh, or carbon and two quick success stories this year had a nice buck come in and it was five, six yards from the base of my tree. So it was almost a completely vertical shot. And when I, when I, I had to think for a minute, do I want to take this shot? Because I was going to have to shoot high in the shoulder um, but I came to anchor, picked a spot that the arrow should go right through and, and go through the heart. And I mean, it, it went through like butter. I mean, I ended up getting about four inches of penetration into the ground after it went through that deer vertically. And that was with a wood arrow, but still a lot of FOC. And I think the total weight was 860 grains. Um, and Todd, I think you and I were talking about the antelope my antelope hunt from 2016 no doubt in my mind um even some people that were in camp said they could not believe what they were seeing that was a 780 grain setup um uh when i when i released from inside the blind when i shot i'm assuming the the sound from the arrow or the bow is what caused this antelope but he spun into the shot so instead of spinning away he spun towards me and it, it hit right in the left shoulder and broke the left shoulder, passed through and broke the uh, far shoulder and just stopped short of exiting on the offside. And anybody knows anything about antelope, the, the, the shoulder bones on those animals are nothing like a whitetail. That was really impressive to see what that high FOC and that solid uh, front end configuration did on an animal with striking bone like that. And, you know, I don't know that there was anything I could have done to, to prevent that. So, 
I'm a, I'll, I'll stop for a minute now and, and kind of let if anybody wants to chime in or, or add anything to any of that. But that's kind of where my progression went. You, you at least you've hit bone. I'm still sitting here waiting to touch bone. It seems like everything I shoot, it just slips between the ribs. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't have much to say, but I can. Uh, so you talk about the single bevel on the bones, basically. You know, you have the, the mass weight there, and you kind of highlighted uh, the fact that you had really good integrity with that arrow. But for me, what the single bevel has done is just put animals down fast. Just because, get into a little bit of physics and geometry here, there's a grind on one side. So, like the broadheads that I use, they're grinded at 25 degrees. And that is a true 25 degree angle because there's not two of them. There's not two grinds on each side that make it 50 degrees, like a double bevel. So I have a true 25 degrees and I hone and strop that thing and make it extremely, extremely sharp. And I have yet to have an animal that I've shot with a single bevel go past 15 yards. And that seems pretty amazing. I'm amazed. Everyone I talk to is amazed. Is this the performance that I can expect out of my particular setup? We'll see over time. But so far, I'm extremely happy. And if I'm able to also bust bone and be able to cut that well, Man, I'm I'm in for the long run on this particular setup. Todd, anything you'd add? Well, you know, we, we said we were going to talk about aerolithality and, and there were some, let's just say, old timers or even people who aren't open-minded to this whole concept. And the, they say often, <clears throat> that's just overkill. I, I hunt whitetails, it's just overkill. And we touched on it before, but... Uh, even Isaac said, I'm not hitting any bone yet, but he's got himself set up to go through that bone if he does accidentally hit it. You know, you can now also, I think this is phenomenal, you can start aiming for that crease again. You know, for years and years and years, we knew that we would like to aim for the crease but we had to aim a little bit back just in case we would encounter bone. And then sometimes our shot would be even a little bit further back. And now we know what that yep. results in. You know, let them go and come back later. So now we can shoot closer to that leg, closer to that crease. And if we accidentally hit the bone, we've got at least 650 grains and those sharp single bevel broadheads, we can expect to get through. So... You're, we always say, setting yourself up for success with an arrow and broadhead that'll work even when things go wrong. And I think that's the argument that, that makes sense to people who say, you know, I've never had a failure with my setup, but then again, I've never hit the heavy bone. So where, and that's a good point, Todd, where does the, where, and I guess I'm just, this is just a, a group conversation here, but where does... Where does the mentality come from that you can have too much penetration? Well, you got me because <laughs> Ashby's great at coming up with sayings. And one of them is no one ever complained about harvesting or losing an animal because he got too much penetration. Yeah. And that, that's the, again, that's the, that's the part I don't understand is where, um, and, you know, we could get into a couple of different conversations here about, you know, I'm, 
part of me is always surprised by the constant um, how low can you go questions about <laughs> draw weight. And it's just, you know, I, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with shooting a lower poundage draw weight, but it's just why, why do you need to ask that question? It's kind of like it, it, I'm a firm believer in you should always go afield with the best setup you're capable of shooting accurately. If that means you're shooting 40 pounds, great. If it means you're shooting 50 pounds, great. If it's more than that, that's mm-hmm. okay too. As long as you're able to shoot it effectively, why do you want to limit yourself? And that's that comes down to the arrow and the broadhead as well to me. Yeah, Steve, to add to that, what one thing that I always tell people – and you see it tossed around a lot from kind of uh, my group of buddies that, that help me out kind of online and with my social media is shoot the heaviest arrow with the highest percent front of center that has the trajectory that you are most comfortable with. So saying that introduces it to people so they understand that, look, if, if you're not comfortable and you can't shoot it well, you know, you could have all the penetration in the world, but if you're not going to touch the animal, it's not it's not going to be worth it. But it also lets them know that they do have options and they are able to adjust things to their liking. And to me, I think that approach is done well because you get a lot of people that reach out and they go, okay, well, you know, I don't necessarily need that much. And then you kind of, okay, well, maybe you haven't touched this bone or maybe you haven't had this mistake, but you could. So just be prepared for when things go wrong. And it kind of comes into kind of how Todd explained it and that situation. And I'll, I'll give you another one, another good one. Um, so, you know, it's, it's no, no real mystery that, you know, you constantly hear how we're, we're losing our woodsmanship skills. And mm-hmm. no matter how you look at it, you're always going to have a better track to follow if you've got one hole in and one hole out. And if you're not shooting a setup that you're comfortable getting that exit, um, then you, in my opinion, you should be reevaluating your, your setup. And when I say that, Isaac, you mentioned, you know, every, you know, the, the animals that you've shot have been broadside and you, you know, you hit nothing, no, no bone at all. And you went in and out the other side. And that's, that's great. Now, the question is, are you always going to have a broadside shot? I purposely shoot the setups that I set up because, like you said, for, it started it. I'm a hunter first. I don't want to, as long as I feel like it is, a, is an ethical shot, meaning I'm not shooting directly into hard bones such as a, a forward shot or a head-on shot, if I've got a quartering away shot, even a steep quartering away shot, I want to know I got I have the setup that I can put an arrow in front of the the back ham, and I can get an exit on the off shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean I've done it, so I know my setup will do it. If I was if I needed to drop down in in bow weight, drop down in arrow weight, those kind of for whatever reason. I would not necessarily take those those shots if I felt like there wasn't a good chance. Now I was no longer I would I would tend to wait longer and, and wait for a full broadside shot, but I don't like limiting myself to that. Does that make sense? Does to me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh one of the things I'll I'll add about the the draw weight and kind of how you referenced, 
you know, why would you want to limit yourself? And this is the thing that I think kind of gets off track and people think, okay, lower draw weight, I'm limited in my penetration. Well, the way I explain it to people and one could nitpick this a lot, but this is, it seems to, to resonate well with a lot of people is arrow weight is your penetration and your draw weight is your effective range. Although a lot of people get a lot of work done in the woods with that 550, 500 mark, being that we do shoot traditional archery, we are somewhat limiting ourselves compared to other choices of weapons that we could be choosing. I do try and make sure that the people that come to me for advice get around that 600. If I can get above that 650 grain mark, just because I want them to be successful at every angle that, you know, deer move. Maybe we're not taking that quartering two shot, but like you said, with your antelope, it moves. It can happen. You know, anything can happen. That's the thing. And so I say, okay, well, if you want to use that 40 pound longbow, let's get that arrow weight up as high as we can go that you're comfortable kind of mention to them you know try and get around that 600 650 grain mark with with a high foc try it out see how you feel you know order from lancaster one shaft pack we'll build it up i'll i'll run you through it i'll send some stuff your way and see how it feels and just accept that you might have a limited range but if that deer or animal i just say deer because that's primarily what i hunt but really any animal if it's in your wheelhouse for range you got it be accurate, make the shot, and you got it. But we don't want to be limiting ourselves on the amount of penetration. It's kind of what I'm getting at. And and understand, and I probably come off sometimes as being too, well, I don't think I'm, I'm explaining myself well. I don't think there's a problem with somebody getting out and hunting just about anything they want to with a 45-pound 40, bow. But the majority of the people that, that I encounter – they're they're not shooting the the heavy arrow setup with that lighter weight bow to get that job done there are a lot of them out there but there's a lot of people that well i'm shooting a 40 pound bow so i've got to shoot a a 300 grain arrow or you know a 350 grain arrow so that it's got the flat trajectory i want on the 3d course and then they turn around and take out you know take that same setup to the woods yep yeah for me i just try to stress the guys that that believe that i try to stress them you know if you want range we want a higher poundage and regardless, you know, I run through the physics of it and, you know, we, we're going to want that penetration primarily. I don't think you put that across that you don't think 45 pounds is ethical. I just think it, it it's, it's good to mention that the arrow weight is what's getting it done at those lower poundages. Whereas mm-hmm. some guys, you know, like you and Tom, and I'm not sure what you're shooting, Nick, but you guys are up around that mid seventies, low eighties for Tom and you guys can shoot still 10 grains per pound and it's it's heavy it's above like todd mentioned that 650 grain threshold that ashby found it's above that and you have so much speed and it's so flat but if i take my you know let's say my 50 pound bow and i shoot 10 grains per pound that's 500 grains and i would need both hands and both feet to count how many failures i've had of guys messaging me with 50 pound bows and 500 grain shafts and that's just it is what it is that's just the real world that's the real results well and in fairness to tom tom was tom shooting that heavier weight because in fact he's uh, still in africa right now he was going to uh africa and he i think he he heads home uh 
one more day. He's got one more day of hunting, but you know, and I shot those, those mid eighties for a long time. I've since come down a good bit in weight. And really what I try to do, I shoot bows this year. I'll be hunting with bows in the range from, uh, as, as heavy as 60 pounds, as low, excuse me, heavy as 70 pounds and as low as 55, 56 pounds. But I keep all of the arrows and I, I intentionally do this. All of them are in the same grains per pound range. So from a, from a, uh, shooting perspective i have to adjust very little to pick from one bow to the other and the, the trajectory is pretty much the same um usually within one or two arrows i'm right dialed back back in where i need to be um todd so you i think you said you're shooting uh mid 40s is that right 46 to 50 yeah i, I guess what's your arrow weight and let's just kind of go around the around the horn with with everybody's arrow setup so what's your arrow weight and your arrow setup well i've got the grizzly stick a momentum tdt's myself it's a 400 spine 29 inches 650 grains and that's with a 200 grain single bevel uh, messiah or samurai on the front um and roughly it's been working great what's that shaft cut to 29 inches 40 okay and i'm in the fo- the high 20s you know like 27 28 percent foc before i move on to isaac i'm gonna make a, a confession i couldn't tell you what my foc is i've i've looked it up a couple of times but it's it's probably and part of that's because i know my foc is so high i just i don't care what the percentage <laughs> is but um <laughs> that's a good problem sure. to have Makes but sense. Isaac, so Isaac, what what uh, what's your bow set up, and what's what's your arrow set up? Well, the one that I settled in on for this fall, I'll be shooting. Uh, it's my dad's, Bob Lee. He got it in 1994. It's a 65 pound bow, so I'm I'm working my way up. I'm trying to catch up to you. <laughs> but this uh, the shaft total weight 650 grains. I'm at 25 percent FOC. And that's with a 200 grain head. And the two that I'll be kind of jogging around is the Samurai from Grizzly Stick as well as the XXL Silver Flame. So both of those, and it's it's seems to be doing great. Last year I shot 815 grains out of the same bow. And I went down in weight just to get a little bit more range. And uh, just for playing around purposes, I guess, see how it works this fall. And what uh, I know you had that that one doe last year that you you did some videos and some photos on. What what broadhead were you shooting on that one? Uh, that was a three hundred and fifteen grain point, and I shot the Nanook from Grizzly Stick. Okay. All right. Um, what about you, Nick? Uh, well, I've got the twenty two sixteen. Um, those are cut to thirty inches, and um, right now I'm running. The arrows, the arrows are weighing out about 750, maybe a little more than that. Actually, maybe it's more. It's probably higher than that um, because I've got uh, 425 up front. Um, I'm not really sure what broadhead I'm going to put on there yet. I haven't figured that out. Um, with uh, unfortunately, I can't with the 2216 the way it is. I don't. I can't really find. There's really no insert that I can put in there that can weight them up that way. So you got to have yeah. all all thread in weight. Basically, so I've got a hundred grain, hundred twenty five grain steel insert, and uh, I've got basically got to find a broadhead that's around three hundred grains or whatever I'm going to do. 
Um, but I'll figure I'm looking at a few. Um, I'm thinking about it. Uh, but as far as the bow, I'm just using my St. Joe and it's, uh, it's 62 inches and it's, uh, around 56, 57 pounds in my draw. So that's what I'll be shooting. Um, as for myself and I I will, uh, I'm going to preface this with, with one factor that I always take into consideration on my stuff. Um, I do hunt from the ground a good bit each year. Uh, I do that usually just using natural cover um and when i say natural cover i'll I'll build some natural blinds but it's not like a fully enclosed blind it's just enough brush to kind of break up my my form and because of that that's the reason i shoot the arrows that i do and i mentioned this earlier about the quartering away most of the time if i get a shot at an animal on the ground it's going to be at a quartering away and sometimes a fairly steep quartering away angle so i want to know that i can i can still punch the offside shoulder um at, at a reasonable distance 15, 12 to 15 yards um i'm shooting my total arrow weight right now is 860 grains give or take a few grains um and mine's going to sound a little bit funny from a from a spine's pers- perspective but i'll, I'll kind of explain why why i think it tunes out the way it does so everything i shoot is a, a asl bow so it's American semi-longbow, the primary bow that I'll hunt with this year is a two-piece takedown from J. St. Charles, and it has almost no shelf. It is virtually just above shooting off the knuckle. Um, it's, it's got very little mm-hmm. shelf to it, so I've got a lot of riser I have to shoot around. But I'm shooting a 350 spine. Um, I shoot a um, one-piece stainless steel insert and adapter, so it's, it uses a glue-on head. Um, and I've actually got two different setups that I'm going to be using this year from a head perspective. One uses a 250 grain adapter with a 200 grain, um, uh, single bevel, uh, grizzly. And the other one is a 300 grain insert adapter with a 150 grain Magnus. Um, and it's a Magnus single bevel. Can't get them anymore, but I really love those heads because they're, they're an inch and a half wide. Um, I also foot those shafts with uh two and a half inches of aluminum uh twenty two sixteen or or twenty two nineteen depending on what i'm uh which air shafts i'm shooting but anyway what it what it equates to is i end up with a fairly short just shy of twenty eight or just a little over twenty eight inches long because that that footing negates the end of the air the end of the air shaft it can't flex because of the footing in the insert um the other setup i'm i'm trying to use this year and i said i was getting back to the the screw in heads a little bit um i'm using some 400 spine shafts with another bow um uh, a 200 grain insert adapter from ethics archery and that is for a threaded broadhead and i'm gonna, i'm gonna be giving the 200 grain uh bone broadheads a try this year um see what i think about them so far i'm i'm pretty impressed with them but both of the setups top 700 grains um well, i think one's seven seven eighty and the other one's 860 grains so uh, but again in my opinion you you just i don't believe in too much penetration so i feel and i shoot the same setup year round i don't change during 3d season if i'm shooting my bows i'm shooting the same arrow um from january 1 to december 31st I'm the same. I'm not. I'm too lazy to mess with that. I mean, I, I don't see any reason to to have to adjust. Um, I'm a very instinctive shooter, though. 
Um, I got a pretty extreme cant. I've talked about it before on here. Um, I'm kind of a, uh, I'm kind of a snap shooter. So, I mean, I, I have to have that aerial flight memorized. I can't, I can't mess around. So pretty much sticking the same. Uh, once I, I don't know if I'm going to go with the 2216 as a permanent solution. I'll probably going to go back to a carbon arrow. Um, but, uh, just because of the insert thing, um, but this will work for now for this year. So I don't change anything either. I'd like to, I don't mind going to a 3D course and knocking the dust off the targets. <laughs> yeah, me either. What, what about you, Todd? Do you change your setup any during the year? Oh, not at all. Because for me, 3D shoots are just nothing That's, other than practice I'm for bow hunting. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I don't care how I score. I just want to see, you know, yep. stay I sharp. I go for kill shots. I, I, I get questions all the time when you get back to the house. Uh, well, for my, the ones around here where there's, they're at the sportsman's club. So you get back to the clubhouse, you have a hot dog and talk with some guys and they'll show their scores. And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> didn't even keep track. They're like, Oh yeah, that's okay too. Right. I'm like, yeah, I just shoot for kills. I just gotta keep, keep it honed in. Well, and that, that 12 ring is great, but, and I don't know, I know I honestly shoot very few 3d courses. The ones that I do shoot are, are trad our trad setups but that 12 ring it's great to chase that 12 ring but you you set a 3d target on much of an angle at all and that 12 ring is absolutely wrong it's in most cases it's not the ideal spot to begin oh, with sure. but you angle the target and it's right. wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> so and i feel like a lot of those shots are angled anyways they're supposed to be you know quote real life right so they are angled so we we we've talked about We've talked about arrow setups. We've talked about uh, high FOC. We've talked. I guess we've talked about general arrow weight. Um, uh, we touched on single bevel a little bit. What about um, and and Todd? I guess I'll go. I'm gonna go back to you on this one. Nick probably have something to chime in on. I don't know. Uh, no offense, Isaac. I don't know how much you've actually even even messed with wood. But do you ever get any? any pushback Todd from people because they they want to shoot wood arrows and there there's some concern as far as trying to achieve high FOC or or going through the tuning process with wood shafts or no no not really uh, a great example of that is um, Mike Yancey with Pine Hollow Longbows he and I were talking about wood and he was going to Africa and and we got to talking about just hickory and some of those other heavier woods and how you can add woody weights to the front and then you can put like a 300 grain tough head on the front of that or one of the el grande grizzlies and he did that he set himself up you don't get as high foc because those shafts are almost always parallel so they retain a lot of weight in the knock end but he got pass throughs his his uh he shot self bows actually and the PHs that were there absolutely went berserk. They had never had a bow hunter, I think, of any of any equipment get the kind of performance he got. And so my answer is no. If a guy is gonna, you know, try to get higher weights, just do it. Get some hardwood shafts, keep them straight, but get some hardwood shafts. Get some woody weights. Get some heavy, uh, either tough heads or grizzlies on that nose. It's and funny you mentioned it. Mike Yancey. Um, after we wrap this this up tonight, I'm gonna have Isaac mail those the the headphones that I sent him. 
I uh, sent to Mike Yancey, and I'm sending him a, a recorder. We actually got him on the schedule for for next week, so that's that's pretty cool. Oh, so, great. Uh, and, great. And I have. And first, I, I agree with you. It's a it's a lot harder to get the 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 high, real high FOC with wood just because the the shafts are so heavy themselves. But and there we go with that word forgiving again. But um, I don't know based on my you know the, the 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 hunting I've done and the shooting I've done with wood shafts with a pretty heavy front end. I don't know that you necessarily need to. Um, and there's definitely you start putting uh, you start putting a seventy five hundred grain one hundred fifty grain woody weight on top of a hundred fifty grain broadhead on the front of a wood era, it can become a pretty a pretty menacing <laughs> pretty menacing uh, uh, projectile. Um, what about um, do you, you said that he was using parallel shafts? Have you ever have you ever messed around with the um, tapered shafts at all, Todd? Yes, yes, and if you remember Allegheny Mountain Woods, we talked years ago about doing some tapers, and he said, you know, unless you're doing tip to tail, you just you just don't eliminate enough on the knock end to really gain much in the FOC. So he Mike didn't even even mess with it. But you know, I wanted to mention something too because we're throwing out these sure. like what if scenarios now, and there's this thing that's not really off the ground yet, but it's called the Ashby Foundation, and you know, all Ashby ever cared about was helping the animals, helping the bow hunters, helping everyone involved get better lethality through better equipment. And I would ask that you guys and everybody that you know compile different tests that you would like to see done with different arrow materials, broadheads, everything, and submit them to the Ashby Foundation. And if you know of people who can support it, and I know this is kind of like a plug, but you got me excited when we were talking about all these different platforms of bow hunting. And that's what that foundation wants to do. So there's a Facebook page and everything. You can find it there. But I, I think it would be great if we compiled a master list of all these different things we'd like to see tested, actually tested, uh, because it would help the bow hunters. Sure. Again. I'll, I'll get some information from you, Todd, make sure that it's uh, included in the show notes and, um, I'll have to uh, record a little outro probably separately so I can even include it in that as well. So, um, yeah, I'll circle up with you on that because I, I agree with you. Um, you know, anything we can do to, to continue that, that effort moving forward, that's a plus. Um, you know, there's a lot of people and I know Isaac's run into this too. You know, there's, 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 there's always the people that want to challenge, you know, everything that, that Dr. Ashby said. And, I don't really understand mm -hmm. why it, you know, some people take it to such extremes of really just trying to discredit somebody right. that it wasn't like he was in it really for the money. He was, out, he was in it to try to help. And <laughs> it's, it, it just Absolutely. boggles my mind. He didn't um, have an agenda. And if you don't agree, just show me your research. Just, just show me your research. Well, there's, exactly. there, so there's some of those out there that in my opinion, they, they, they say they've done the research, but they've basically gone out and you know bought a couple of uh, cow femurs and shot some broadheads into it and that's the that's the extent of their research oh, sure. but yeah. well and i think a lot of it has to do with just we, we've talked about this before steve but it's a, it's an insecurity i mean it's if somebody says that something is effective mm -hmm. and proves it somebody's going to discredit it because they're not interested in doing that or they don't understand it and it makes them feel inferior 
so they automatically attack it because they don't understand it. Well, if a little bit more effort, and if you don't want to do that, that's fine, but all, all you have to do is say, well, with a little bit more effort and a little bit, a little bit of time, there's no reason why you can't do the same thing and have great results with it. But and I think that circles back to what you were saying, Nick, earlier, uh, 100% about, you know, sometimes we toss the numbers around and it's because we're kind of obsessed about it. But then a lot of people look at it and they think that's too difficult. I think sometimes, like when I send people, you know, links or articles and I say, you know, just give this a read and, and let me know what you think of it, the, this concept. It's just a little bit too technical for them. And I think sometimes even when they visually see that, and it might be someone that has had a really simple point of view and has had a lot of, a lot of success being very simple, then it makes it really easy for them to say, okay, well, that's just too much. And look at, I've been doing this for 30 years. But again, that circles back then to what Todd was saying and, and what he said, well, look, if it works for you, then why on earth would you switch? So it's just a big circle. Everyone's chasing everyone's tail, really. Well, and it's the same with, I mean, when you're dealing with compound versus traditional, you're dealing with spin spin fishermen versus fly fishermen. You're dealing with, I mean, it, it's the same kind of concept. If somebody's doing something different than you, that's inherently seems like, oh, well, you think you're better than me. They just kind of attack it. And that's kind of, it's unfortunate because, I mean, it's not like, we're not telling you that you're inferior for not shooting high FOC. You shouldn't tell me that I should work on my shot placement and not worry about my point weight then. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. we could give each other a little bit more of a break than that. I mean, if it's working for you, fine. We're just showing you a different way where if something bad happens, absolutely, it could turn a failure into a success on your part. That's it. Yep. Exactly. Absolutely. It, you know, people hate change. And, mm -hmm. and, and the shot placement thing, I get it. It's 100%. That's a 100% accurate statement. On the flip side, a, a field point, if placed accurately, that's a dead deer. Now go find it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I hate to be facetious, but I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It, it, it's going to die. Sure. Can you recover it? Um, I've helped enough people follow, uh, wounded animals that, you know, if you, if you put up signs, they would have trouble finding it. Um, so I, I, I hate to be honest, but it's just, it is what it is. I mean, there's, uh, there's a, you know, I've, I've run across people that, you know, you'd see them as they you know come off of a piece of public land or something and. And you're just trying to be nice. Do you have any luck? Well, yeah, you know, I shot one this morning, but I can't find it. And uh, I even had one scenario where the guy refused mm -hmm. to go back with me and look, and I got his name and number. And when I found his deer later that afternoon, I actually hand delivered it to him, called him on his, called him on his phone and said, I got you, deer. I'll bring it to you. Um, a lot of people give up too quickly. Um, Good for you. So anyway, it, it, there's more to it than just shot placement. Because in my opinion, the, 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 a lot of times the, the most important work doesn't begin until you let go of that arrow. I like to say shot placement is assumed. I don't know anyone really that is going That's, to try yeah, to make good. a bad shot. Exactly. Like I'm not going out to say, hey, I'm going to go, hey, I'm breaking shoulders today, boys. That's what we're doing today. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it right. doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah, of course I want to shoot. Yeah, I want to go for exactly. a double lung or a, a heart shot. I mean, I'm not I'm not intentionally doing that. 
Um, I'm also not walking around with a shirt that says 450 grains. <laughs> you know, up or, front. or, or right. I shoot a X pound bow. Mm-hmm. I mean, who cares? Right. Nobody cares. But you already set yourself up that in case you hit that bone, you know you can get through. And that's the difference. Well, and here's an even here's an even better scenario. Nick, you just said, you know, I make you're, you're aiming for the heart. Um, I I know Todd. I know you've killed enough deer. I've killed enough deer. I know the anatomy of a whitetail. What's right in front of the ooh, of the ooh, heart? Pick me, <laughs> <laughs> bone. It's it's a it's a knuckle and and I can tell you the the when I when I talked about that the failure I had where the the threaded insert broke on an arrow it was because I was trying to make a heart shot and it hit that knuckle. Mm-hmm. I, I don't worry about hitting the knuckle these days. I exactly. know, and, and but that heart is right there and it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just going to happen. And when a when a and when a white tail drops, what happens to that knuckle? Gets right in the way. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It does, mm-hmm. and it's not uh, – yes, yeah, shot placement, again, I, I hate to keep going back to this, but it's just one of those pet peeves of mine that it, it always comes up, and it's one of those things you can't really argue it, but I think Isaac just hits the nail on the head. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's right. assumed. Exactly. Yeah, it's Bottom assumed line, you're going to try to make a great shot. There's too many factors to just assume that you're going to get perfect mm-hmm. shot placement every single time unless you're shooting the 3D target. That's not moving. Or living, or breathing, or or skittish, or anything else. It's just. Well, I'm sorry. I've I've spent enough time on a 3D course, Nick. And you would think some of them are moving. So, and that so that's another good point, Todd. I'll ask you how many how many whitetails have you ever have you ever shot that stood stone still when when you released the arrow. One. I can think of two. Nick? I none. I I got two. Uh, <laughs> youngest youngest buck gets two. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but I can I got two for you. I, uh, well I was trying to go through them all like dun, 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 dun. there was one recently. My first one possibly. So I might have two. I might have tied yet. Yeah, that's all I can think of is two. Um, one was just a really young buck that didn't have a clue what was going on, and the other one was a the other one was a doe. And in all honesty, it was I was hunting on close enough to a a, a major highway that there was so much noise. I don't think it ever heard the bow at all. That's the only that's nice. the only two that I can even yeah. even think of. So, and then you take into consideration nerves. Um, look, I don't care if it's a, if it's a whitetail doe, if you're a traditional bow hunter and nerves do, do not come into, into play when you're, when you're hunting, give me your secret. <laughs> um, elements, wind, uh, unseen branches, uh, and then again, animal. <laughs> You've been watching me hunt. What's that? <laughs> well, you know, and, and then poor, poor, poor judge of range. I mean, it's e- it's easy to miss range a deer out in the woods in the in the when you got all that happening. I mean, and especially if you got dips in the ground, little hills. I mean, you know, it's all that plays a factor. Mm-hmm. It's easy to misjudge a hog distance too. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, I was. 
I don't even want to. I know you don't. <laughs> when I was in Texas, it was so different terrain <laughs> being the sky behind it instead of down the ground or, you know, like a little hill. It's like I'm up on this ridge and then behind the pig is like open sky sunset. It's like, man, that's going to throw you off. Lots of factors. Well, the, and and so here's I'll, here's one more that we can we can throw out that a lot of people don't consider is those heavy arrows are a lot quieter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the bow is uh, the the arrow absorbs a lot of the energy from the bow, so it's just you don't get the you don't get the noise that you get with a lighter arrow. Um, now, flip side of that, I know some really good bow hunters here in Georgia that they intend to make their bows noisy because they their their reasoning is the the animal reaction is more predictable if your if your bow's noisy i can't necessarily argue with that but i like having a quiet bow myself that's an interesting perspective honestly yeah me too i don't think i've ever heard well, of that well i can tell you the the gentleman the gentleman and i'm not going to call names i'm actually hoping to get him on the on the podcast very soon but i will just say this the the joke is when this man walks through the through the meat department at the grocery store the 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 meat starts <laughs> starts crying. I mean this guy is just lethal. I mean he kills a lot of animals, but he will tell you that he he aims at a specific um, place on the animal, and he prefers his bows to make enough noise so that he knows they're always going to try to duck the shot. Yeah, that's not the that's mm-hmm. not the first time I've heard that either. Um, I, it's, it's actually, I don't know. I read it somewhere. I thought I read it in an article or saw it in a video or something like that, but I thought it was super interesting. They actually had one guy I know had a, had like their bows to be off tiller. So it would make a noise. Do you know who I'm talking about, Nick? I don't think I do, but I, I, if you told me, I'd probably, I can, I, I can, I can, I can give you a big hint that nobody else will, well, there'll be a few that might get it, but, uh, will it bite? <laughs> oh yeah you know what now i know where i heard it the campfire yep. yes you uh, did. Yeah, exactly yep, so that's the guy there's a lot of there's a lot of theories out there i guess but uh i would i would also counter there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of facts too if people will just just take the time to go out and read it listen to it um, one thing that I'm surprised nobody nobody really brought up. Maybe it's just assumed that everybody knows about it. But um, there's a there's a lot of information out on YouTube um, specifically around Dr. Ashby. Um, Todd, do you have any idea how many videos there are out there um, from the from the Ashby presentations? Mm, I don't think there's that many videos of the presentations themselves. I mean, you you can find the reports on many, many websites, grizzlystick.com being one of them, toughhead.com, tradgang, tradbow. I mean, they're out there everywhere. But as far as videos go, um, I think Toughhead yeah, has I, I think I it's three. three of them. Yeah, I thought it was more than three. Maybe it well, is three. Well, I think it's three by Toughhead of the actual, like, seminar, and he's actually up there, like, showing examples but then there's a lot from like other channels that have other tidbits of maybe seminars that's, that are like separate. Yeah. And so I think honestly, and you know me, I'm nerded out. I'm a nerd <laughs> about the whole thing. So I've seen them all and I, I believe it's eight and that's not including some of the snippet of ones that I've done. 
Yeah, I knew there was. I knew there were several out there, but I because uh, I know that there's. I know there's one where about the um, the the S wound and the wound channel that gets created by that single bevel spinning. I know there's mm-hmm. one. There's there's discussions about the uh, the different uh, the most effective uh, point um, as far as splitting bone the the three to one ratio. I mean, I know there's several of them out there, and I guess I could have been thinking about just three really long videos, but. I was thinking it was it was more. <laughs> well, guys, we've we've uh, I just looked up. We've been we've been rattling on here almost an hour and a half. So I, I think we probably should start looking at wrapping this up. I'll uh, I'm gonna start with you, Todd. Anything uh, anything we haven't touched on or brought up that you'd like to you'd like to throw out there? Not really. But at one point, Isaac mentioned that some people don't like to do the numbers, but I'd like to make it easy for the guys that just want it easy. 650 grains total arrow weight whether you're shooting 40 pounds or 80 pounds 80 pounds you can shoot heavier if you want to but 650 grains is a, is just the magic number it's the heavy bone threshold 20 percent and up on foc foc is just that forward of center balance point and then as much weight as you can put on your broadhead and single bevel broadheads if you want to be able to split bone single bevel broadheads with tanto tips r- razor hone strop sharp do that, simple as that, tune it to your bow, and you've got one arrow that can do anything in North Bingo. America. <laughs> anything you would add to that, Isaac? I think just to add uh, to the guys that don't want to be as technical as Todd said, if you, want to come to, if you want to come to someone that doesn't care about your numbers and is just going to set you up, look up my Limb Driven TV I know it's a senseless plug for myself, but I deal with these people all the time. The ones that just don't care about the numbers, but they just want the result. Send me a message. Send me your bow information, and I'll get you set up. We just want to make it easy. And like we talked about before this thing even started, it's just about having more people be successful. Yes, I work closely with Grizzly Stick with with their stuff. I use their products. Same with Todd. But I think we can all agree that we just want everyone to have success. I don't care what you're using. I don't care if you come to me and say that you'd have to use this brand of, of this and this brand of this. Man, just reach out. Get help if you feel like you want to improve your setup or if it needs to be improved. Ask questions. Let's make it easy. That's that's all I wanted to plug. Well, and I can... So I personally can echo that, and it's actually one of the reasons that I've I've reached out and have talked to you for a while now, Isaac, about getting you on here is I knew that you shot a lot of the the grizzly grizzly stick equipment. I knew you think – I know you think very highly of it. And, you know, we've shared a lot of conversations about the the various setups that I've I've had over the years. And I can truthfully say not one time have you said, you know, X, Y, Z would be better than what you're doing. Um, so, you know, you've definitely offered some suggestions and, and we've had some really positive conversations, but in the end, I agree. I, I, I will, I'll just vouch for what you're saying to you. It's not about the equipment. It's about getting the right setup. Um, I do want to ask one question of, of the two of you real quickly. Um, so if we go down that kind of that list, Todd, that you just threw out there, um, mass weight, FOC, Single bevel, tanto tip, razor sharp, et cetera, et cetera. 
Is there, would you put a, and maybe Ashby has done this and I just don't know. Um, would you, is there a way that you could actually go in and rank those? Let's just, and let's throw a scenario out. Somebody's got some, some equipment and they're on a budget. So they think they can, maybe they can look at increasing their point weight or their, their total weight or something. Do do either of you guys have a, have a ranking for, uh, most important to lesser important of that list of, of, of items? Well, you just introduced another podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Because let I me agree. tell you, Ashby has the top 12 penetration enhancement factors. Every one of them is cumulative. So the first one is structural integrity, and the next one is perfect arrow flight. And he ranks them, just like you said, in order of importance. Okay. There's 12 of them. And if you do every single one of those, or if you just pick and choose the ones that you can do or you can afford right now, or you're comfortable with doing right now, your success is going to go up and up and up and up. Well, you just you just basically volunteered to hop on here again. So I think that is a, <laughs> that is a very good point. And I actually did know about the twelve points. And part of I, honestly, that was a bit of a leading question. So I'll I'll just come forward. But uh, <laughs> it was perfect. Let's let's well played, sir. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's um let's let's reconvene in a few weeks. It's still we'll be getting closer and closer to um, hunting season and. And let's let's actually just spend the podcast going through that those twelve steps. Sound good? Sure. Yep. Hey Steve, as yes. a pre-op on that, one of the easiest things for guys, just so you know, so in case viewers don't necessarily want to wait, I did I did have one response for that uh, that came to mind, and that is that I would say for new archers or for guys that are following spine charts. Man, I'll I'll say 70% of the guys tend to be overspined. So out of all those things you listed, one of the easiest things that you can do to get yourself in the game on this FOC, a little bit higher arrow weight game that we're all playing, is just increase point weight and see how it flies. So I just wanted to put that mm-hmm. plug in there. A lot of guys get tuned up and they are very stiff. And if you're going to try kind of what we discussed, maybe a, a bear shaft tune, Ninety uh, percent of the guys that come to me are stiff reading, and we got to increase point weight. So if there is one that might be easier than the others that they just want, they heard this podcast, they want to jump in right now, try a heavier point weight and see how it flies. Yeah, and, and I w- I would agree with you. I think that's that's an accurate statement. And to simplify what you just said is buy some heavier point weights and see if your air of flight isn't as good or better, and that's a cheap way mm-hmm. to increase your performance. I'm exactly. Sorry, somebody's tried to step in there, and I stepped on them. Who was that? Oh, that was me, Steve. Oh, okay. um, I said the, I, I was going to say the same thing. I went from – I did that exact thing. I went from 125 to 145 to 160 to 175 to 190 to 200. I mean, I climbed all the way, and that was all on the same arrows for a few years. And um, every time I added it, I liked it. I added it again. I liked it. I liked the flight, and it really wasn't that big a deal. And I, I kind of just liked playing with it anyway. So, you know, it was kind of cool. Not, not to make a statement or anything, but uh, yeah, that's an easy. Yeah, not to take away to from, not to take away from what Todd was mentioning that the twelve penetration factors are, holy cow, do I follow those? But I just wanted to make make the the plug about you know, if you're a quick fix and maybe you want to 
test it out a little bit before it sounds like you guys will do a podcast about the 12 penetration enhancing factors. If you just want to play around, have your field points. And that's that's a very good point, and we will do that. Like I said, you you volunteered too; you just didn't know it yet. But um, so <laughs> so so we'll do that again in a few weeks. So I guess brush up on your on your your Ashby uh, points of discussion, and and we'll do that. Nick, anything else before we wrap this up? Nope, that's it. Thanks, guys. It was great meeting you. Great conversation. Looking forward to hearing it again. Same here, and I will be in be in touch with both of you about. Uh, scheduling another one real soon thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show and absolutely thanks for having us thanks for having us that's great all right guys take care you too